All right, if you have a Bible, open to the Gospel of Mark. We are in Mark chapter 11. And uh, if you have a Red Pew Bible, this will be on page 847. We're going to read Mark 11, 12 through 25. Some fun light reading for a Sunday morning. <laughs> so Mark 11, beginning in verse 12. On the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to, said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. <clears throat> and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. <clears throat> and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look! The fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt it in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone... So that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to your church. We pray that this would be more than just information that we are gaining in our head that this is more than just conviction we are feeling in our heart, but that this brings about true transformation to make us more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Short intro today, we're just going to read 11 as our introduction, and then we'll start on our text. Let's uh, look at that, because that's what happened the day before. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Last week we looked at Jesus entering into the city of Jerusalem. He entered in lowly, gentle, humble, riding on a colt. And he went into the temple scouting out everything uh, that was going on, and, and since it was late, he spent the night in Bethany, and, and during that night must have been thinking about what was happening in the temple and what he was going to do about it. Now, this temple sequence begins with Jesus cleaning out the temple, and then it follows with Jesus prophesying about the destruction of the temple, which we don't get into that today, but it's within the temple context that we're going to be looking at these things. So when we look at the fig tree, we need to keep this temple context in mind. This, 
This has a lot of di different interpretations. It's a, it's a difficult passage to uh, interpret. Um, there, you can read a number of scholars and a bunch of them will tell you a bunch of different things. But we have to keep the temple context in mind uh, as this surrounds this entire section of the scriptures. Now Peter said in verse 21, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And then as they come out of the temple in chapter 13, verse 1, one of his disciples said, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him in verse 2, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And so these verses are all tied up to the upcoming prophecy of judgment. And so that is the context of our story today about the fig tree. Another important piece of information to know is that the temple was extremely significant to Judaism. And so it was the center of Jewish religious existence, activity. It was their sign of national pride. Their entire identity was centered on the temple, in the temple. And this is really important to know because this story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem he fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies, and none of those prophecies have been proven false. And he was the one riding on this cult, never ridden, symbolizing a king. And, and he, he was entering into the center of religious life, looking for any evidence of spiritual fruit. And when he entered, what did Jesus discover? Fruitlessness. It's a fruitless tree. The temple was fruitless, and the result will be judgment. What was to be a house of prayer was turned into a marketplace. Keep all of these things in mind as we move forward into our story now. Okay, verse 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season of figs. And he said to it, may no one may <clears throat> ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Yes, Jesus was hungry. No, there wasn't any fruit on this fig tree. So what in the world is going on here? Was Jesus upset that there wasn't fruit on this tree when he was hungry and so that therefore he cursed it. Um, no, it says that it wasn't in season. I think Jesus knows this. I don't think Jesus is petty like this. There's no evidence in the entire Bible of Jesus being petty. So obviously there's something a lot deeper. There's something more. So we, we need to dig for that. Now what's the significance of a fig tree? We need to look into the Old Testament for this. Fig trees in the Old Testament are often used as similes or metaphors to describe the relationship or the standing between Israel and God. And I'll give you one such occurrence. It's written by the prophet Hosea. It's in Hosea chapter 9, verse 10. Like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel. Like the fruit, <clears throat> first fruit on the fig tree in its first season, I saw your fathers. But they came to Baal Peor, and consecrated themselves to the things of shame and became detestable like the thing they loved. 
So yes, Jesus was hungry. No, the fruit was not on the fig tree. And yes, Jesus knew it wasn't the season for figs. Jesus used this opportunity to teach something really, really meaningful. Now you take a look at Micah chapter 7, verse 1. It reads, Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned, there is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. So Jesus rode into Jerusalem as a king. He entered the temple as a high priest. And what does he find? Empty religion. The exploitation of people who have come to worship God and they are exploited by the people they are trusting their spirituality to and it was completely fruitless. And so what was happening here was Jesus using this opportunity as a live parable. He's not just teaching a story as a third party. Or he's, he's in this parable. He's using all the pictures in front of him. It's a parable that used the, the objects that were right in front of Jesus, right in front of the disciples, where Jesus used these objects as symbols in this live action parable. Jesus used this fig tree as a picture of the judgment that was going to come to Jerusalem. And so we see why Jesus lamented over Jerusalem in Luke 19. This is Luke's gospel account of Palm Sunday. And picking that up in Luke 19 verses 41 through 44. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And so this was what Mark has been hitting home since the beginning of the gospel here in Mark 1 verse 15 where he said, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. But people were just kind of going about their religious life without recognizing the time of Christ's visitation. You see, this fig tree had no fruit. And just like we'll see that the temple did not have fruit either, that the tree wasn't fulfilling its purpose to provide nourishment, just like what we'll see happening in the temple, in that it wasn't providing spiritual nourishment to the people. Verse 15, and they came to Jerusalem. Now, the last time Jesus entered Jerusalem was the day before. He entered in gentle, lowly, humble, riding on this colt that had never been written. Some people recognized Jesus as Messiah, shouting, Hosanna, save us, while others wanted him to be an earthly king who would topple the Roman Empire to deliver them from this political oppression. When he returned to Jerusalem from Bethany, he came as a heavenly king. He also came as a high priest. Now, the high priest oversaw all these matters of the temple. It says, and he entered the temple. And so when Jesus entered the temple, he, he not only came with the authority of a king, he came with the authority of a high priest. Jesus had already surveyed what happened in the temple before, in verse 11, the day before. He had, he had looked around at everything, and it was already late, so he was going to deal with this at a different time, and this time is this day where we're covering these verses. He noticed that the temple had turned into a marketplace. 
which was never something that the temple was intended to be. It was not intended to be. The intention of the temple was to be a house of prayer for all the nations. That was the intention. Isaiah 56, 7. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And what it had become, the prophet Jeremiah wrote about in Jeremiah 7, verse 11. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. They robbed the people in the name of religion, which is sadly something that even happens today. But how did those people rob those worshipers? Well, there were people assigned to examine every single temple sacrifice to check if that sacrifice would be an acceptable offering. So when people showed up with their sacrifice in the temple, they, they would be hidden with these uh, hidden charges, right? Just like our cell phone bills, like hidden charges, right? So you come in and it's like, oh, inspection fee, inspection fee. I, what do you mean inspection fee? And so surprise, uh, of course the sacrifice didn't pass inspection. Of course. So then, you know, there would be like, hey, you know what, this, this pigeon that you're bringing, it looks like a, an Oakland pigeon, and um, we, we can't have that. <laughs> but the most messed up pigeons in all of Oakland are in Chinatown. I, I, I take pictures, I, I guarantee you, you'll see the most mangled pigeons in Chinatown. So this Oakland pigeon you brought is not acceptable for sacrifice, but you know what you can do? You can go right over there to our farmer's market because we have pigeons from Marin County. <laughs> and they are organic. And uh, they, they, they've never been fed antibiotics or hormones. They're all free range. There's no pesticides. You can, get a, you can get a Marin County pigeon right there. So you can't use this Oakland pigeon. And so part of the reason people made this pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Passover feast was to give offerings. Some of them came from long, long distances. They've been traveling a long time. They literally, like it came from Oakland, bringing an Oakland pigeon. And so they brought this Oakland pigeon. They, and so there's no turning back. You, you can't, you, 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 you came all the way here to offer your pigeon. So it's like going to Disneyland. You make this long trek. And when you get there, they got you. That, you're going to buy that $15 burger. You're going to buy that $5 churro, the $5 soda, the $10 corn dog, the $5 ice cream. I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. So people would get this, this inspection fee. And then part of the scam was that, of course, their sacrifice is not acceptable. You got to go to the Marin County Farmer's Market right there, right? And then they'd refer you to these preferred vendors where they would sell these acceptable sacrifices at Disneyland prices. But the scam didn't end there. When you went to this preferred vendor, the vendors would say, you know what, we can't accept that currency. 
because the only currency we accept is Tyrian currency. It's no, no reference to Game of Thrones or anything like that. It's just, <laughs> this Tyrian shekel to the Jews was the closest thing to a Hebrew shekel. So what they were saying was, this is the closest thing we have to a Hebrew shekel, so this is the only kind of currency that we're going to accept inside the temple. You, remember, you recall, these pilgrims are coming from all over. Most of them coming from within the Roman Empire, so what currency are they carrying? Roman currency. So what do they have to do? They have to go to the money changer, who would totally rip them off on the exchange rate. So everywhere a pilgrim was turning to, he was getting ripped off. Bring a pigeon? No, not acceptable. Go over there. Go over there? Okay, I'm going to sell you. This pigeon is $1,000. What? Yeah, it's $1,000. Oh, and we don't accept your shekels. You've got to exchange it. So your one shekel is worth a tenth of a shekel. And it's 1,000 shekels. Totally ripped off. And so Jesus does not like what he saw. What are you guys doing? And he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, it, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Why such a strong response from Jesus? He came as king. He came as high priest. And this was what any reasonable high priest should have done. See, the chief priests should have never let this happen, but instead they allowed all of this corruption to take place, colluding, colluding with this, and Jesus came in and he handled it. Jesus had this zeal for God. John chapter 2, verse 17, John wrote, His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. And that was from Psalm 69.9. These religious leaders, they lost their zeal for God. That zeal, what is zeal? It's that heat you feel when you love and you care for somebody. You know, it's that when you're starting to feel cold towards somebody... You're losing that loving feeling. Oh, that loving feeling. <laughs> Bring back that loving feeling. But there, there's, there's that heat. right? There's, that, there's that, that fervor when you're excited to be with somebody. You see, Jesus had that deep love for the things of God. And, and, and while the religious leaders were, were just pimping that stuff out. And rather than repenting of their corruption, what did they do? And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. They were astonished because they know he's right. And not only is he right, but he's taken on the religious establishment. They, they, they knew Jesus, what he was what teaching was true. It's just that no one ever dared confront these religious leaders that, that, that were exploiting them. 
And so Jesus called the religious leaders out. They did not like that. He was putting an end to this scam, to them kind of lining their pockets with this extra money. And so, verse 19, And when evening came, they went out of the city. And they passed by in the morning. They saw the fig tree withered away at its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And so this live parable continued. Jesus did this miracle because how does a tree wither that quickly from its roots? Now, what, what was Jesus teaching and how does verse 21 and what happened in the temple tie into verse 22 and this fig tree story? How, how does this fig tree story go into having faith in God in verse 22? And what's the practical application of this story? We know that there's this approaching judgment on Israel, and it's prophetically represented in this withering of the fig tree. And we know that this indeed happened to Israel. We can look back to, to history and see 70 AD, destruction of the temple. But still, how is this practically applicable to us? And I think we need to look at Romans chapter 11 to shed some light for us. In Romans 11, the Apostle Paul wrote about Israel, that they were, they were given a purpose by God, and they were God's chosen people to share God's love. And then Paul addressed the Gentiles for, for us to know who we are in the light of this relationship that God has with the Jews, and that we are grafted into God's plans. We're grafted in to, to a people who were given a promise through Abraham, who believed God and, and was counted to him as righteousness, Abraham. And this is what Paul wrote, Romans 11, starting in verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, the Gentiles, wild olive shoots, were grafted in among the others... And now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches, the Jews. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Stand fast through faith. Judgment came to Israel. God's chosen people, those branches, were broken off because of their unbelief. So let's not think that it can't happen to those of us who are grafted in, us Gentiles. Because it can happen to us too, that the Gentiles who believe in Jesus must stand Fast through faith, and that's a practical application for us. Now, John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches that were gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So the practical application, stand fast through faith, abide in Christ. When Jesus entered the temple, he looked around, he saw fruitlessness, he saw prayer, he saw a lack of prayer. He was looking for those things and he couldn't find it and the fruitless fig tree symbolized that. 
It symbolized this empty religion. It symbolized this fruitlessness. It was unable to spiritually nurture people seeking spiritual nourishment. It was completely empty, completely fruitless. Do you find your relationship with God to be like this today? It's empty. It's fruitless. I really hope and pray that our church is not a source of this. And if we are, I am begging you to please call us out on it. To tell us. Because we don't want to be like that. We want to be a place of spiritual nourishment. To to be fruitful. To be a house of prayer. Because if, if God didn't spare those natural branches, the Israelites, neither will he spare those of unbelief. Those of us who are grafted in. See, that fig tree symbolized unbelieving Judaism and what was going to happen to the temple because of their empty and corrupt religion. Is that in any way a picture of our church? Is that in any way a picture of you and your relationship with God? Are we fruitful? Do we stand fast through faith? Are we faithful? And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to the mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. See, faithful believers, we we have an access to the all-powerful God and our prayers can move mountains. See, we don't pray these empty, meaningless prayers, but we pray with belief. We pray with faith. And unlike those who did not pray in verse 17, who Jesus was calling out on, Jesus was exhorting people to pray. And here are some good instructions on prayer. Now, these verses on faith and their power are sometimes interpreted incorrectly and misinterpreted as literal. Right? But, but that shouldn't scare us away from them because there are people who say like, hey, you know, like that verse, a uh, mountain thrown into the sea, ha, 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 really funny. You see why you can't believe in Christianity? It has silly things like that. Come on, we know this is figurative. This is a figurative thing. And so when, when in history has, has a mountain ever been thrown into the sea? It's a figurative thing. That Jesus is talking about. But let's not minimize the power of these verses. Because these are really great verses from Jesus to encourage us to pray boldly. To to challenge us to pray with confidence. to, To pray for the miraculous. To pray for the impossible. Because with God all things are possible. And that has happened. Hasn't that happened in our church? I mean, I'll just bring up, it's kind of silly, because I brought up Disneyland a few minutes ago. I don't know if you guys recall, but right before that trip that I went to Disneyland on that Tuesday, but that Sunday before, I had a grade three calf strain, because I was kicking a pad in Thai boxing, and I totally strained this thing. 
And, and those of you who are here saw me limping badly. I went to the doctor the Friday before. She told me 90 to 100% of your muscle fibers around your calf, your gastrocnemius, have ruptured. They've ruptured. And so I was, and she said, the bruising and the swelling's showing up right now, but you're going to have really significant bruising. It's going to be bad. It's going to be like you have a pool of blood right there, but it's normal. Just, just rice it. Right? And so, and, I, and so there I am. I'm like, oh, man, darn, I can't go to Disneyland. Because, <laughs> you know, it's Tuesday and it's Sunday. Darn, I can't go. And so she's like, yeah, you're, you're not walking, but I'm going to write you a note so you can get one of those electric, hand, those uh, disabled chairs. And I'm going to write you a note so you can legitimately get one of those there if they give you a hard time. So she writes me a note. I still have this note. Grade three, gastrocnemia strain, blah, 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 and all this stuff, and please provide my patient with a whatever. And so we had this healing service that Sunday, and what was supposed to be eight weeks of physical therapy never happened because I walked 10 miles at Disneyland. God did not answer my prayer. I did not want to go. But he answered your prayers, and he healed my calf. Let me tell you something. Not a single bruise. No discolorization at all. Crazy. I come back, I tell my doctor, she's like, what? Come on. I'm like, no, look. I go show her, like, she's like, what? I've shared with you guys my relationship with my dad. Estranged from the man for eight years, did not talk to him. I hated that man. Again, it wasn't my prayer, but somebody prayed for me. It was not me. I didn't want it. We reconciled over 20 years ago. I flew him up to celebrate Father's Day just a couple of weeks ago. We had a great time with each other for the most part. Still not the easiest guy for me to get along with. But our relationship was restored. Miraculous. Eight years not talking to somebody? And all of a sudden? See, that was a mountain thrown into the sea. We are to have faith in God. As Jesus said in verse 22. It's not faith in oneself. It's not faith in others. It's not faith in faith. It's not faith in any other thing. It is faith in God. And Jesus is not saying to have faith in any God. It is to have faith in God, his Father, creator God, to have a fearless faith that no one would think that you are sane to pray the things you're praying for. Dare to pray for incredible things because what do you have to lose? What do we have to lose? God, God doesn't make mistakes. If it's not God's will, then he'll answer no. But you'll get an answer. And we can pray for them. God answers the most improbable prayers. I, I know it has happened for many of you. I've heard so many of your stories. And it has happened for so many in the Bible. Let's look at just one person's faith in the Bible, Abraham. Turn back to Romans, this time chapter 4, starting in verse 18. 
and hoped he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. You look at early church history and you will see how ridiculous it is that Christianity even is here today. It is ridiculous. You look at the early church leaders and who they were, We've been studying the gospel of Mark. You guys know that these guys leading the early church just don't make any sense at all. These guys are fools. God threw the mountain into the sea. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Trust God to answer your prayers. Now, I know some of you are thinking like, oh, he hasn't answered my prayers or I've been praying for the lottery for the past 10 years and I haven't received it on a whatever. If you are praying for ungodly things, don't expect that prayer to be answered, right? Just know that now. If it's an ungodly thing, like, oh, you're, you're married and you're like, oh, God, uh, I, I want to marry somebody else. Not going to happen. That's going to happen through your own sinfulness, but it's not like God's going to answer that prayer. That's just going to be you being you. James wrote in James chapter 4, verse 3, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. But we can trust God to answer our prayers when they are in alignment to who he is. Because James also wrote in James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Believe that God will deliver. Believe he will come through for you. Not from a place of pride, but from this place of humility. Knowing that God is God, and sometimes we don't even know what we're going to ask for or what we are asking for. Also, we need to test our hearts. Sometimes the prayers we pray aren't, aren't coming from a good place. Sometimes it comes from a place that is contradictory to the heart of God. And additionally, we need to pray more than once. Right? It says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And then there's praying in love and in accordance to the will of God. You just look at Jesus' prayers. Jesus prayed in Mark 14, verse 36, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. See, Jesus is convinced of God's power. He's, he believed in total humility. He had the right heart. He completely submitted to the, Lord, the, the Lord's will, God's will. God is sovereign. We are subservient to the will of God. And lastly, verse 25, And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. A sign that we're right with God is that we have a forgiving spirit just as God does. We, we've been forgiven so much by God, it's silly 
when we don't forgive others who have done so much less to us. Now, I know some of you have been hurt really badly and forgiveness seems unattainable. That was me over 20 years ago. Doesn't seem possible at all. And maybe you can't pray for it, but others can pray for you. And you pray for that mountain to be thrown into the sea. Even if you can't, there are others who can help you. You know, harboring that unforgiveness, it's, it's going to kill you. You won't be able to reach your full potential and, and you won't be able to fulfill everything God purposed for you to accomplish. You remember that fig tree, it had no fruit. And evidence of that fruit is forgiveness. That is a clear sign of spiritual fruit. No forgiveness is no fruit. And you want to prove you have faith in God, forgive. The greater the forgiveness, the greater the sign of faith you have in God. Forgiveness is an evidence of fruit. It's an evidence of faith. It's an evidence of prayerfulness. It's an evidence that we recognize that God has truly forgiven us of our trespasses. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And God, as we might have something that we can't forgive someone for yet, and we need the church community to come around us and to pray with us and for us, I pray, God, that at least that door is cracked open to invite others to pray. That there's incredible power in prayer. And so there are some of those situations where that mountain being thrown into the sea, it's virtually that impossible to see that ever happening. And yet we ask for that, Lord, in faith, in Jesus' name, amen.